All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Thursday. It's time for Art Fight Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Nolan. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Brian Siskind. Brian, I've got my I've got my mohawk all just pulled back like this. I I can almost do a mohawk with a man bun at this point in my my coronavirus uh, this journey. Is a, this is an indication that you perhaps have been watching too much MMA. This is a look. This is called Lonely Ronin. <laughs> I, I'm sporting this uh, trademark cool Jonah brace. Lonely cool. Ronin. I have this thing called uh, skiers thumb. Oh shit! But you don't actually ski though. No, I haven't in a long time. Uh, it's always nice when you injure yourself. And it's like people that are actually doing things hurt themselves in this way. Is this an like uh, old injury that's just bothering you from too much music making? I'm just so glad you asked. Can I just tell you, thank you for asking. And I'd like to spend an insane amount of time talking about this. But basically, no, it's one of those things where catching a basketball too many times where like it yeah. hits here, right? Damned. I think that it I had torn something a long time ago. This is like 10, 15 years ago. And I think it healed back wrong. And then I was doing mm. some old man something or other and just snapped it and it popped and, and then it hurt hell. Oh, so I, I, it's one of those things where I might've fixed it. And it's just, I'm in recovery now for something that I way better than surgery. Luckily like, you had that handy dandy <laughs> thing that you got wrapped all over your hand. Like some, like you're about to go into a Muay Thai training. Mode. <laughs> but yeah, but I want to remind people, I want to remind people that we do have the live chat open. I was just explaining to everybody that like we started doing this live video because it was just a, a means to tape it after we weren't doing it in the same room anymore for the audio podcast. This is all kind of new to us still, but we're getting into it now pretty strong with the video. And so that means that we're, our live chat is open on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, all the places. Feel free to, to jump in, especially as we get into r- things like rules and regulations or open scoring or what it's exactly. like to be an Irishman. Uh, <laughs> all so things that we're going to talk about with our guest today. Um, yeah. We're here with Sean Sheehan from Severe MMA. Sean, we're so glad to have you here with us. All right, lads. Thanks very much for having me. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I actually put out a thing uh, a while back. Is After there was one of the big judging decisions and everyone was giving out about it, I was like, I'm willing now and open to go on anyone's podcast. <laughs> and lo- like loads of people replied like, oh yeah, dude, I'm going to get you on and all. And <laughs> I believe this is the first one in about two months i know we're going to talk a little bit about judging one of the big frustrations for me and i know people that care about judging is like people care about judging for one night (laughs) you know (laughs) there's a bad decision and then they stop caring for seven months and then they care for another night and there's another bad decision you know it's that's a kind of thing with me so i think it's a i think it's hilarious because brian and i just just i'll just go with this flow and then at some point maybe we'll backtrack and i'll explain a little bit more about how we got connected but none suffice to say you made a great video on your youtube channel about how the rules actually work in MMA and highlighted all the ways that people get it wrong all the time. That's gotten the attention of lots of people, including myself. We talked a few weeks ago. We got you on the show today to talk about this and other things, of course. But one of the things that I find to be so hilarious about it is that, like you say, is that that phenomenon of MMA memory and the way that like the audience can get so worked up about something. And then boom, the next day it's a tattoo or something. And now that's got all the oxygen. Yeah. (laughs) I suppose it's the same in any walk of life, really. Like people, I'm sure like I'll watch the Olympics if it's on next year or maybe the year after something. And I'd be like, oh, I'm a figure skating expert for one day or something. But like (laughs) it's, there's parts of MMA that are like that. As I'm sure I'm like that with parts of MMA as well. But yeah, that's a very frustrating thing. I know for judges, having spoken to a lot of judges over the, over the last few years and, 
it's MMA judging is like probably the most misunderstood part of the sport mm. and the most like for fighters okay if we watch a fight and we don't really for MMA fans anyway maybe we don't understand how to throw a jab properly we can see a jab we and we don't understand how to throw a front kick properly we know what a good one looks like we know what a bad one looks like and we there's a tendency to be like a little bit respectful of the fighters because they're they have names and they have faces and we can see them and we know who they are which judges is opposite for a lot of the time they're nameless faceless people <laughs> and we completely don't understand what they are doing or yeah. the rules in which they like, are under yeah so it's coming from all angles with them really Interesting that they're rather like the MMA gods who seem to rule over us with such uh, with such absurd ferocity and destroy so many good things and make us fall for things so often. And sometimes it feels that way with the judges because of that anonymity. I was going to also say that some of these people who, you know, for whatever reason, the fact that they're engaging with this idea about judging and the importance of judging, which of course it's it actually on some level means everything if you don't knock mm -hmm. somebody out. But another part of it I think that's kept us involved was that Brian and I, a few months ago, I don't even remember when this happened, Brian, because I still am like, I'm like, I still have a heartache about it. It still hurts me to think about it. So I try to <laughs> I just try, I put it away. But we tried to do an additional little chapter connected to the podcast that was called Versus, where we would actually talk through almost like a role-playing game, like mm -hmm. three rounds between a fighter and an artist of our choosing. And we would just pair these people up and have them fight. But when we did that, we had to at least the way we went about it was we need to deep dive into the rule set so that we can figure out how to model this weird game that we're going to talk our way through every one of these mm -hmm. episodes. It turns out, Sean, no one cares about that at those episodes because <laughs> it was just too painful, frankly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we dove into those rules. And still, when I came to your video, not only is it hilarious, but it also, to me, there was things that you pointed out that were very specific that I thought were areas that even after we'd taken that deep dive, I think I was like, I've never really thought of it this clearly. Okay. And there's one like specific thing I'd like to talk about, but there's this whole idea that there's these like three things. So why don't you tell us what they are? The three things that we're supposed to be judging. And the thing I think is interesting about this is that the first thing is the thing that matters. And then there, then you described it as a plan B, okay? Or maybe they described it as a plan B, but the mm -hmm. way that you made that clear was like, only if, mm -hmm. you know, this first thing doesn't happen, do you even begin to think about this second thing? And yeah. only if neither of those things have happened, do you even go to the third thing? And I think most of us, and I know I do it, I am like, I don't know about that, but this is there. So therefore that guy got it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it gives you a license to be lazy if you don't really strictly make yourself follow that rule as you're going through these criteria. But why don't you, why don't you take us into it? Because you're the expert and that's why you're here today. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm an expert or anything. I, I, I've you're better than we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, for a lot of people, when we are, I, <laughs> like, you're a spokesman anyway. I feel like you're I, very I'm, knowledgeable. I, I'm, I'm trying to be. You're, I'm you're, you're, you're one person that has sincerely tried to really actually understand all of it. That means yeah, something because most people that have an opinion have not really. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I suppose the, the order you're talking about, I'm looking at the, I have it up in my second screen here in front of me. Okay. And in the very first sentence, last two words are specific order. So uh -huh. we talk about the judging. You talked, you said, you mentioned the three parts of it there. So it's the first part is effective striking, grappling, choking someone, punching someone. The second part of it is effective <laughs> aggress aggressiveness. So it's attempting to land strikes or la going to be yeah. aggressive, like running at someone. 
And the third part is octagon control, maybe pushing someone back, controlling them, right? So those are the three parts. If the first one is even, if grappling and striking are even, you go to the second one. If the aggressiveness is even, both people are uh, aggressive in, in equal measure, you go to octagon control. If someone's pushing them back, then they'll win the round. If that's equal, it's a 10-10 round. So it's simple as that. Now, to get from part A, the effective striking and grappling, to part B, we'll just talk about that for a second. To get from there to there, there has to be less than one punch of a difference between the two people. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the first round between Israel Adesanya and uh, Yoel Romero, it's the perfect round for us. That whole round, nothing happened in the whole round <laughs> apart from one punch, right? One punch landed. If you go back and watch the rounds, one of the worst rounds in MMA history, Yoel Romero landed one punch. And your mirror won that round 10-9 because of that one punch. Mm -hmm. So we didn't, we have effective grappling and striking and we stop there. We don't look at effective aggressiveness. We don't look at octagon control. Once that one extra punch has landed, that is it. And that to me is the crux of judging and the mm -hmm. crux of the misunderstanding of judging. We see Jones tweeting out every time there's a fight. He won via octagon control. <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not that's just not a thing anymore it's I, i'm looking at the the criteria here again and in, in it it says like it's the result of their actions what the round is based on and it's extremely rare that we move from criterion a to b to c c almost doesn't exist b very rare as well and i suppose we can talk about the intricacies of it as well but that to me is like the very base of it and when i was explaining that it changed a little bit for me so all you need is one extra punch one grappling maneuver that's uh, immediately effective over the other person. So mm -hmm. I, I suppose, you know, it's tougher to do that when it's around with, you know, back and forth and back and forth. But when a, a perfect ground like Adesanya versus Romero, that one punch of a difference is all it takes. Wow. It's almost like the second and third metrics there would be basically like, did did someone try or did they run or not? It's just, <laughs> but it seems if the, I can are you articulating that essentially since part of this is uh, you, you either have to look at it as a formula or a rubric, but you can't look at it as both. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, like if then can, versus yeah. just plotting points on a. Mm -hmm. the, the example I give. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if people, maybe a lot of American viewers would understand it, but the Premier League table, if. Manchester United and Liverpool are the top two teams and they both finish on 90 points for the year. Okay. Who wins the league? Who, who wins the league? So we go to who scored the most goals or who has the better goal difference. What if that's equal? What if they bought a 50 of a goal difference? Mm. But then we go down to who won in a head to head between Man United and Liverpool and look, Man United beat Liverpool twice. Man United win the league. So that's it. But if Man United finish on 91 points and Liverpool finish on 90 points, then we don't have to go to the other two. Man United mm. win the league because they're one point ahead. That's the, the difference here. Like all, all of those things are still rules, but they're only rules if the other ones don't count. Like there's right. overtime in American mm -hmm. sports. Why do, when do you go to overtime? When it's a draw. Right. You don't go to overtime if one team is 20 and the other team is 15. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. So that's the rules in that game. It's the same in MMA have these rules where if you land more effective striking, more effective grappling, that's what wins you the round. It doesn't matter where the fight is fought. It doesn't matter who is pushing forward or who's going backwards. It's mm -hmm. the effectiveness of your strikes and your grappling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, it's fascinating, but it's it gets complicated when you're in the midst of watching it, of course. Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy to judge that. But once you really get it clear, to me, once I really got it clear in my head that this isn't loose, that, like I said, I think on some level, you're aware of the fact that there's this sort of hierarchy of of whatever importance like this, if not, then this. But 
I, like I said, I think a lot of the problem comes because you get lazy about the first one. You say, man, I don't know. That was really close. And then immediately it's had, uh, what, what's the second? The second one is what now? The second one is, is effective aggressiveness. Effective aggressiveness. Yeah. So mm-hmm. immediately you might say, oh, this guy was more aggressive. So he got it. And you might be right. You might be able to do make that calculation. But I really feel like when you emphasize that it only if somebody did not actually win that first category and like it's almost it's your video really makes it clear that it's that's almost impossible that someone didn't score one more effective shot than the other one mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's almost impossible or somebody didn't get close to a submission or somebody didn't really control someone in a clinch and land a few blows all these different ways that someone might have gotten just a little bit better than the other guy or the mm-hmm. other lady it's like chances are it really comes down to you didn't see it you know it's not it wasn't as close as you talked your way to brian through the round <laughs> you know what i mean you missed a couple things you know what well, I mean? let me throw something in there which is just a, i feel and for those that are not uh you know hardcore mma uh fans uh in our listening pool How that are mostly they? uh creatives and weirdos and artists here they part of this is <laughs> i think that you anyone should understand at a at best what we have in terms of the scoring system is something that was retrofitted from another sport in haste because of the the burgeoning the quick explosion of MMA, MMA they just basically uh, had to get it sanctioned and commissioned and and so all those mechanisms and and bodies were there to work with and so they're going that way but i feel like it's it's a little bit different perhaps than uh, a lot of other sports so there is this subjectivity there is the what you see what you not see what are your interests who, who do you work for whatever like all the strange sort of conditions that they get into this but i, I guess how much of this do you think is just attributed to just having a crude implementation of a sort of, it's like taking engine parts out of a car and being like, I don't know, this will probably work in mine. It's not the same car. And so I feel like there's always this kind of crudeness to the application of the must system to MMA to begin with. And then secondly, I want to follow up with just what are your thoughts on technology seemingly inevitably at some point going to take over, I think in some way Mm. or, be an implement or an assistance or something. I understand we're way behind. We don't even really, there's very few sort of instant replays or mm-hmm. things like that in play, but but still it's coming, it's happening. So I guess I was just curious about taking a step back and just going, okay, for the uninitiated, it's weird fighting refereeing and rules application and the subjectivity of it all. Very mm-hmm. strange. So we're always dying to have some sort of something to hold on to that some sort of certainty or how much of it do you attribute to the 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 nature of just judging as it applies to mma just because that's what we got to do just a second part quickly i hate technology with an absolute passion and i think it has very little play in sports anyway and i'm not outside of sports but i hate technology in sports like we we can't forget that this is a sport too and other sports as well like i'm a big soccer fan we've brought in var and i it's ruined the game Mm. i hate it with a passion now it's different in some sports especially in american sports the nfl it's a very stop start sport so it's way more applicable there but Mm -hmm. i think in mma mma if you stop the fight for 10 seconds it could change the whole fight so Mm -hmm. that's to me is a very odd thing but let me mm-hmm. uh, uh, circle back to the 10 point must system i think at the start it w- the points you made there were, were completely correct i think it was retrofitted to it and the system which we had just didn't really work for mma it was a, a, a muddled together system which improved over the years and we found ways of fighting with it but i think it was five four or five years ago the criteria was adjusted and they changed it and a new criteria was written. The one I, I can send a link out or it's a, in my video up on YouTube, it's in the description there. 
it's three pages and I think four lines long. That's all it is. So if, if you have a spare five minutes, you'll be able to read it. That criteria is what was written three or four years ago, or five, four or five years ago. Uh, and that's completely changed it to me. It's completely made judging and it's completely made the application of the rule set which we have more understandable for one and more applicable for the judges themselves. We Okay, anyone listening to this, I, my next sentence is probably going to anger them. <laughs> But judging has never, ever been as good as it is right now. It's never been as consistent. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, we have some terrible judging decisions or not. The, the example recently, Paul Felder, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Who won that fight? Do people remember who won that fight? Dos Anjos. Yeah. So one judge had it wrong. The reason you have three judges is because two of them get it right and one of them get it wrong. And sometimes a judge isn't good sometimes we have a bad judge sometimes a judge has a bad night that's going to happen that's why we have three judges mm. so two of them judges got it absolutely and we got the right result out of that if the worst complaint we can have this year is if the right fighter won i think we're going well and if you if you look if you look well what my kind of point is right yeah. that's what happens we see someone we think is robbed and we get mad about that. But what about right. the other eight fights in that night? And what about the nine fights the week before? And what about the 120 UFC fights that happened in the last month, it seems? Mm. it's That's something that we just don't look at. And I think the criteria, the way it's written now, is to make MMA, and it says it in the criteria, it's to make MMA a more attacking sport, a more offensive sport. Right. And that's what MMA is built on. It's built on entertainment. It's built on being attacking. Yeah. So some people will probably argue and probably make the point to me is they're taking wrestling out of the game. They're <laughs> not making it as, as applicable in MMA as it once was. Good. We want MMA to be exciting. We want it to be better. And they're not, it's not like it's taking wrestling out of MMA. Right. If you use your wrestling correctly, you can have absolutely effective uh, uh, yeah. uh, offense, uh, yeah. whether it's grappling or, yeah. or uh, there's a guy named Khabib who will tell you all about it. <laughs> Indeed, <yeah. laughs> so, like, it's, you are even like you go back to Tito Ortiz years ago, taking guys down, absolutely destroying them. Like, that scores as much or more as a guy on the feet doing the mm -hmm. same thing. So, I think. The reapplication of the criteria, the rewritten criteria, has has changed the Tenpai Mus system and how good it is for MMA. But there's right. always one thing might be very positive about judging here. There's always one thing that's an issue with judging, and it's always going to be an issue with judging. If I hit you once and you hit me back once, who hit harder? Mm -hmm. That is the crux of judging. Yeah, that is the crux of it. You're the judges sent there to judge. Ben Cartlidge, the judge who was judged out in Fight Island, judge UFC, Bellator title fights, always tells me judging is a verb as well. Huh? You're sent oh, there yeah. to judge. You you judge what is more effective, mm -hmm. and that is always going to be an issue. Like I could be sitting on one side of the cage, and the fight could be happening right in front of me, and I see how hard Habib hits Dustin Poirier, and I think right, I think Habib wins around because of that punch but the guy on the other side of it might have had his view knocked off a little mm. bit mightn't have seen it mightn't have even seen the punch land and said no I think Paria was a little bit ahead in it I'm going to give it to him that's the one issue with judging especially in close rounds but for me and the last point I'll make and I'll throw it back if you can understand why a judge gave around a certain way I think that's the that's okay if, if I think Habib won this round 10-9 and you think Paria won a 10-9 and it's very close and we can both understand that's the best we can hope for. Mm -hmm. We would never, ever get everyone agreeing under any criteria. And mm -hmm. if we take that of our heads for a second and then go from that point, that's where we need to go from, I think. Yeah, I think that that's perfect. And I think there's something about that human element of that 
you almost don't want to turn to the computer. I like the CompuBox numbers and all those things to look back at things and understand a, a certain whatever breakdown on the actual activity of the fight or whatever. But when it comes to the judging and stuff, I agree. It's that's close enough for me. It doesn't have to be closer than that. And then we get rematches of great fights. Hell, bring it on. You know what I mean? What's the problem? So the thing I want to really quick point out too is that we were shouting out the show right before we got started and we've uh, got some people in the live chat. Where's the tweets to? Too, says very little about fighting and i assume he's talking to me and, <laughs> uh, i want to also say that uh there we go we'll put that up we'll put that up for you guys there you go s s denny and also there's a sean there's an s denny nine i don't know if that's the same person it is the same guy i know he's okay. a big ksw fan yeah so uh, can you see these chats <laughs> yeah i can see oh, him, okay yeah. okay cool i love that he brings up your ksw poster and i was going to mention that as well so kudos Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a nice one. As I, uh, Shani, that question up there, what's more troublesome, significant strike or ground control time? I think significant strikes is way worse because significant strikes are the most pointless stat you could ever give by the criteria. You could hit me 50 times in a round and I could knock you down once and it'd be 100 significant strikes to one and I'd win the round. Uh-huh. That's a fact as by, as the criteria is written. So showing significant strikes is absolutely pointless. It's the effectiveness of those significant strikes is what matters as written in the criteria. There you go. Just answer <laughs> that one. <laughs> Another thing I love, man, I really dig the way your, I mean, your personality now, but even on the video, I think sometimes people, they're, they'll, they can, they, people approach the way they do their YouTube videos and stuff differently. And I think that the, one of the things beyond just the information and like the specificity mm-hmm. of what you were talking about in the video, one of the other things I really liked, man, was the fact, the way that you kept on coming back and you're like, and you're like, but you can understand this because you can read it because it's written down yeah. it's there in the criteria. It's there in the book. You know, the I was very mad that the hammering the, the primary document, but you did it in such a way that was just really funny. Like you, as much of a harangue as that video is, it really somehow doesn't come off as pedantic. And I really, there, you really should be commended for that because it's a masterful job of teaching without uh, talking down to people. It's really a great video. It was on no way on purpose at all. It was the day after I think Jones Dominic Reyes I think oh, and I was man. just I was so mad <laughs> that I just got on I'm like I can't take this anymore <laughs> yeah, I, I just have to do and that was genuine madness like in the I, criteria <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to be if anyone listens to the main podcast I tend to be more relaxed and, and laid back and you know the one or two rants out of me but I like I get so frustrated because the information is there <laughs> and like it, it's not just fans or it's not just people on Twitter it's like world championship fighters Mm-hmm. Daniel Carmier hasn't a clue about the criteria. He's never read it. Joe Rogan never read it. <laughs> some, of the, some of the best journalists in the world have never read the criteria, have no idea. Uh, yeah, Michael Bisping I mean, absolutely never read it. <laughs> like, and the thing about it is, I know John Gooden, he's watched the, the video I put up and he's read the criteria. And you see him on one of the cards, uh, re- well, not so recently, I suppose, maybe two months ago. He was he pointed out something from the criteria to Michael Bisping and Bisping talked him down. He's like, no, that's not how it works. And that's that's the frustrating part to me because I'm listening to this and I'm like, I, I need to just leave the room for a second because I'm getting so incredulously mad. <laughs> because it's not just Din getting it wrong. It's telling all the people at home to get it wrong. And it's telling them the wrong thing which they didn't think is wrong. And it just causes an extra stress. For well, me. that reminds me of a situation we have here right now where you have people that should know the actualities of what's going on on and be speaking down or out to the masses with a little bit more clarity. And then there's a negative impact when you spread information or whatever that's not exactly real. And so it's, it is crazy. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like uh, traffic laws or something where 
It, it almost depends on who you are as a person as to how you like, uh, that's, yes, technically that's illegal. There's all this subjectivity, I think, to any of these sort of these lines. But I, I think that one of the things that I look at it as is sort of there's this sort of collective truth that everybody's trying to get at. The fighters are trying to get at it from a from the perspective of my skills versus your skills, mm-hmm. styles, competing, which will prevail, that sort of sen- sentiment. And then you take another step out and it's the it's everybody's competing in some way, but also everybody's striving to get this some sort of common truth. And everybody's mm-hmm. got a role in establishing that. And it's inevitable that it's got to go through so many different sort of prisms of, or perceptions or where you're sitting or any number of things to where it's going to be ultimately a collection of like you're saying, Joe, like you can't be data driven fully, right? You have to be data uh-huh. informed and leave some room for yourself to not be freely, wildly interpretive, but just to but take to judge. into, yeah, like the active nature of soaking in context and sorting it out and deriving some sort of conclusion from it mm-hmm. is it's an elusive thing. And then you've got different commissions, you got different judges, you got all the different things. So it is a wild ride. I guess I wonder. <laughs> it's I, a wild ride, kids. But here's the thing is like you even think about UFC rankings or I mean, anything where they try to cut co- anything where something is codified, its its reasons or its constitution are usually still interpretive. the The Bible mm. is interpretive. Like even I don't know. So like, how dare you? I know. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so we have this human nature, I think, sort of thing of okay, I understand that it says that, but I've got to think about it and in, in, in through my lens or whatever. But I guess I just wonder, in terms of that collective truth and that sort of gathering, what's the fate of it? Do you think that you say it's you know better than it's ever been, but at the same time, I'm not saying you're, I get it, right? It's kind of like people saying these times are the worst times ever, but it's yeah, but you also have food and water, and there's not a famine, and calm down, right, where you mm-hmm. are. But in terms of like best judging ever with Reyes. People still say he won that fight. Jones lost. So there's also just there's this the codified meritocracy versus the interpretive or I know what really happened meritocracy. So I just I find it interesting just how we're always trying to map this the thing out to collect this truth, but they're really almost it's almost post truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's almost it takes something absolute sometimes. But uh, but I wonder where it's going to go. What do you think? Uh, look, I, I think there are absolutes in MMA judging, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I have a terrible memory for fights, but if you remember the first round of of Davidson Figueiredo versus uh, Joseph Benavides, it almost mm. got to the, the end. I know I chucked him out at the end, but let's say that fight got to the the end of the round. Everyone on planet Earth is going to score that for Figueiredo. He knocked him down like three times. He almost choked him unconscious. He did in the end. Let's say he didn't. Benavidez barely landed a punch there. Everyone, there's a unified truth there. Everybody knows that he won that fight. Okay, or that round. Okay, you could say maybe, is it a 10-8? Is it a 10-7? Is it a 10-9? Probably everyone would agree it's not a 10-9 as well. So you're then going for 10-8, 10-7. The problem is not that round. The problem is the round that are very close. And we actually don't, if we strive for a unified truth, in, when we're talking about MMA judging, we're already finished. It's not going to happen. It's never mm. going to happen. It can't happen mm. because of MMA judging is a verb where the judges are sent there. And the reason as well, I talk about good judges. And I, I don't know what I said in the podcast or what I said in the tweet recently. They need to bring in the best judges in the world for the biggest fights because they're 
aren't that many great judges and because simply because there can't be that many great judges because it's a very tough job and you have to be a very specific person to be very good at it and you also have to be willing to do it for no money no thanks and to be hated for doing your job <laughs> this job you sean write up that you. job posting for us we're gonna get, <laughs> yeah. get some people who are interested exactly write that up word for word and we'll see how effective that is in getting some people to show up for the job the, of the, most, the most idiotic thing argument that people make let's get ex-fighters to to judge i was talking to the kansas commissioner last night and he told me 250 dollars they get paid to judge in kansas mm. let me see an ex-fighter who's gonna go and get abused all over the place for getting decisions wrong for 250 dollars, and you might get a show every two months that's not going to happen it's just not going to happen it's a tankless job and it has to be it's like uh, covering mma really. it, has right. to be a, it has to be a passion for you you have to love it you have to be willing to want to do it yeah. it's not i think people come into to get money or anything like that and there's very few people like that there's some absolutely excellent people some in america some in i think the uk especially i think with uh, with mark goddard uh, mm. and ben cartilage and david let be and the other guys come through Darren Ransom this new judge who has judged in Cage Warriors and KSW and all mm -hmm. the big shows around here and in I, I think only in Fight Island recently he got his first UFC gig this guy has been doing he went from like a fan of MMA to to asking uh, Ben Cartledge could he judge how does he get through it? and he did local shows and fucking pool halls in in, in Nottingham in England and he mm. worked his way up got to Cage Warriors like Cage Warriors is very similar to like the UFC to set up the, the cage and everything like that build your way up to get to the very top That's those are the sort of people we need <laughs> pool hall in Nottingham is one of my yeah, favorite yeah. Coke singles <laughs> I wanted to that you made the perfect pivot over to talking about being in MMA media besides talking to you about the judge and this this video that you've become so well known for and that has people like threatening to put you on their podcast and I'm glad that we actually made it happen we a lot of people who listen to the podcast are maybe they're fans of MMA maybe they're not even fans of MMA maybe they're not even into sports but they're artists of some kind painters or mm -hmm. dancers or the other kinds of guests that we have on the show sometimes there's an overlap and that's another thing we've discovered but no matter what one of the things that everybody seems to have in common is that everybody's got some kind of a practice that they've built and a process they've created. And I would just like to hear a little bit about your own story about like, how did you fall in love with MMA and why did you want to get to the point of actually being a voice in the culture and how have you done that? Whatever you want to talk about regarding all that stuff. Yeah, I never wanted to be a voice in the culture. I, <laughs> You're I a voice of, in the culture, Sean. Uh, I, I, yeah. No, I didn't. I really didn't want to. I, I started watching MMA when I was in college around 2006, I think, mm -hmm. 2007 maybe. So, geez, that's 14 years ago now. A friend of mine just didn't have, we had a, like a cheap chorus box in our house, which is like an old Irish thing with like 15 channels instead of the normal four channels. Mm -hmm. And we had the one channel with the ultimate fighter on and my friend used to come up every week and make us watch it. And I was like, what is that terrible <laughs> shit? And I eventually kind of got into it. And then I was away for a summer by myself working. And then I was just like, went back and watched all, you know, old Forrest Griffin and Chris Lieben and all those mm -hmm. fights. And that's kind of how I got into it. And then I started becoming fans of podcasts and things like that. And I suppose, getting into i wouldn't call myself a journalist but into the media side of it or the talking head side of it yeah. uh was true i'm sure steffi haynes over in bloody elbow she used to run a podcast uh called 
jeez, oh, what was it called? Tap Out Podcast. And it changed its names throughout. And she's still doing it now at the moment, or in a new guise of it anyway. And I used to be in there and I used to run competitions for her in the chat of that podcast. And I built up like, there used to be people that like brought Michael Bisping would be in the chat and Great. people from all around Tommy Toehold before he started doing his cartoons and oh, loads wow. of people like that. So it was before the kind of, the madness of MMA online took off and where everyone kind of knew everyone. I remember Uncle Creepy Ian McCall used to be in there before he got to the UFC and trying to get people to get him to the UFC and things. So it's, uh, I started off there and I made kind of friends through Twitter and online there in the MMA sphere and with a lot of the journalists and things as well. So this guy, Dan Rose, who on the website called HOV MMA, so it was History of Violence, mm-hmm. uh, asked me one time that I want to write for him because I said I wanted to put up my picks. So I just wanted to keep track of my picks for the year. And I was like, I was asking in the chat, should I do a blog? Or, and he was like, oh, let's do it on my website. And you can write a bit of an article, go with it if you want. I was like, okay, fine. And I cool. did that for maybe a couple of years. And then Severe and May Graham run Severe and May. And he saw me did an article. I think uh, I didn't was on Conor McGregor, maybe a little bit before Conor McGregor got to the UFC. Maybe I think it was two, uh, the year before Conor McGregor at the UFC. I'd been writing for a couple of years. And then he asked me to write for Severe and May. And then... I started doing the podcast and, and then one thing led to another and now I've the madness of I do today. So it's, it's built up and built up. I think it was six years since I started the podcast and that's really when kind of things picked up, started the Patreon and different things like that. So, so, it's, uh, so what was it? That, is this something that's natural to you that you are magnetized to reg- regulatory considerations of things? Is this something that transposes <laughs> to other areas of your life or is it just something where... You got you you got turned on to MMA, and then after you got over the sort of initial wash of what am I doing watching this? Am I okay as a person? <laughs> yeah. Right, we, we all have that moment no, right early on, <laughs> and then you realize like this is cool, I'm and then go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'm just curious if I don't know you, you follow. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about that before, and I think a lot of things with MMA. Like I did, I did maths and economics in in college, and. I hated the economics. I only did it. I, I don't know why I did it, but I've always had a very mathematical brain. I've always had uh, saw things in it. It's, it's weird. I sound like fucking Rain Man or something, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, uh, I've been round. Penny round. <laughs> exactly. But I kind of put 10 and 8 together and I get 18. That's always the way I've kind of uh, I've looked at things. And I suppose even watching fights themselves, I don't know how to throw a punch or I don't know how to take someone down, but I over years and years of watching it, and understanding if one guy throws a left hook, the other guy can come underneath it and get a takedown or something like that. It's just building those things up, putting them together, and then the outcome of it. That's how I got into MMA more than anything. Mm. I, wasn't a, I was a fan of funny guys like, you know, Rampage Jackson and Chael yeah. Sonnen and things like oh, yeah. that. But what my love of it was that equation of what one person doing something and the other person doing something. What's the equation of the two of them things put together? That's why I got into MMA and that's why I loved MMA. And I suppose the judging is a similar thing. Like, what... To fighter A does and what fighter B does. And are we 10 9? Are we 10 8? Are we 10 7? Are we 10 10? No, we're not 10 10. That's the way my brain has always worked. And that's what kind of always fascinates me. So, do you have a, do you have a fight that, because obviously you're a fan, but also you are a, a person that strives to be objective? Have you had a fight that comes to mind where when you watched it, you just felt it was just an absolute robbery or whatever, even through your lens and knowledge? And then still after realized that it was actually just your fandom that was blinding you or something to that effect, like where you just feel like, wow, how I feel like I'm so on top of this and I'm still getting it crazy wrong. Not since I learned how the judging criteria works. Now, I'm sure at the start, (laughs) (laughs) start but like 
I, I, no, I, I, that may sound like a glib answer, but like, the I love it. Actually, no. No, it's the in the criteria, Sean. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the answer is actually not to do with the criteria. The answer is to do with the answer I just gave you, because mm-hmm. I have always watched MMA as kind of fighter B versus of fighter A versus fighter B. And who I've, I've never really been, I'm a fan of every fighter. Don't get me wrong, but I've never been a fan apart from Wonderboy. I love a bit of Wonderboy. I have a soft spot <laughs> Wonderboy. But nobody else. I've never really been like a big, huge fan. Like I always hope the Irish guys do well because you like to see guys right. from your own country and it's, you know, benefit me. Let's not lie. I always <laughs> wanted him to do well, but I've never, oh, here's Ben Cartledge in the chat here, the, one of the best judges in the world. But it's, oh. that's, that's why I've always looked at fights and, so recently, not re- there was one fight actually recently. It, it was not that I got into it and I was like, oh, I, I got into the fight itself. So I wasn't watching it for who won the round. I was watching like, oh, shit, this guy's getting knocked down or this guy's getting hurt or something like that. And then I thought at the end of the fight, oh, who won it? And I just didn't know. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to go back and I had to watch it and see who won. That, it, the, the, actually, reading this criteria has ruined fights for me, to be honest, because I can't watch them and enjoy them anymore. <laughs> very, <laughs> rarely, very rarely happens. Yeah, it's uh, no. So I don't, I don't really. I've never really done that, to be honest, and I haven't done it recently either. It's mm-hmm. actually less so, I think, recently. I would agree that for me, there's times where I really enjoy keeping score, like when I'm watching fights, and especially if it's like fighters that I don't know. If I'm watching boxing or something, which I'm not as much up on the the down card fights in a boxing match the way I would be in MMA nowadays. I'm aware of the superstars and the up and comers pretty much in boxing. Mm. But but when I watch fights that where I don't know the guys who are fighting, a lot of times I'll just invest in trying to keep score because then that's fun and, and it yeah, helps you pay attention. But the thing of it is, like you say, is sometimes the fight can be so exciting that you can just get swept away and all of a sudden the first round's over and you're like, I have no idea what just happened. Mm-hmm. It was just, I was just like lost in it. So I, th- I think that's, a, I think that's something that can happen to anybody. And I think that can, I think it's really hard to have the the objectivity that you have to keep when you're as a judge, especially, I think is very difficult, let alone as a gambler or something like that. Oh, yeah. That's um, the worst. But, uh, I get like- say, uh, you shouted out Ben <laughs> Cartledge, who's in our chat, and I'm glad that them are paying attention to what people like you were talking about. And they know there's people out here who they, they care about this and we want to talk about it and make sure that there's an, an amplifier on this conversation a little bit. And also, too, you're really handing me a lot of nice segues today, even though I'm fumbling every one of them. But you just mentioned being an MMA journalist in Ireland and if when the Irish fighters do well that's good for you and you're the first actual Irish journalist that we've spoken to and mm-hmm. I I want to get a little bit of a sense of can you tell me what was like what was it like to be in Ireland during this time where you have the rise of not only Conor McGregor but SBG in general and all the excitement that has gone on with that whole culture and just what is that what's that all like to be in a space where suddenly a sport it, where the you know the best people in a sport suddenly are coming from this one small place it's so odd because I remember a time where I used to have to explain to people what MMA was in Ireland. Mm. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> you know? it's, it's not a thing that exists anymore. Uh-huh. If, if you're like, if I meet like a cousin of mine who I haven't met in fucking 10 years or something, they'll be like, what are you doing? And someone's there and he says, oh, he's MMA. And he's like, oh, do you know Conor McGregor? It's going to be that. It's not going to be what's MMA or what's UFC. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. Like I remember I used to show my friends fights. I used to always show them like Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen, the, the unbelievable comeback, the first fight, mm-hmm. and try to get people into MMA. I used to try to get people to uh-huh. talk That's to me about one. MMA. 
now I try to get people to stop talking to me about MMA. <laughs> and that's how it's changed for me. Like, it's really a world of difference. I, I used to know very few people. Like, when I started my early days of, like, being on Twitter and watching MMA shows and consuming MMA and watching whether it's Steffi or Ariel or reading Bin Folks' articles and things like that, it was all American people I used to know. It was all... And I didn't know anything about right. the, the Irish scene. And the problem, as I explained to you before, I'm away from Dublin as well. So right. I'm in Limerick. So I'm not par- I'm not even near SPG. I didn't know Conor McGregor until right. maybe two fights for the UFC or these guys coming up. I know them all now, obviously, oh, okay. because it's very different. But the scene wasn't there. I remember one time I like, I think I put it on the UG years ago. I was like, is there any Irish MMA sites? And I remember there was two at the time, uh, Powerhouse MMA, who was run by Alan Murphy. He's actually works for KSW now and Severe MMA, who I work mm-hmm. for now. And they were just starting out and they just both had started out and I was working for another website. But you might have known I was Irish. I was writing things about Daniel Carmi and John Jones and Rampage mm-hmm. Jackson, whoever it might be. I, I wasn't covering Irish MMA. Like, I, I, even when I went to Severe MMA, there was other guys covering the Irish MMA scene and I was more talking about the UFC and all that. But like the Irish MMA scene now has become more than just the Irish MMA scene because... Mm-hmm. All of the SPG fighters right now, if you make your debut and you're from SPG, you're in Bellator. So that immediately becomes a talking point. You're immediately more of a worldwide mm-hmm. name or, or a worldwide promotional name anyway than you would have been if you were maybe in Clan Wars or even in Cage Warriors and things like that. And a lot of the guys coming through now in Cage Warriors, they're talking about being the next McGregor. McGregor went through Cage Warriors. He came to the UFC. He became a champion. The yeah. likes of Paul Hughes, Ian Gary, and all those guys coming through now in Ireland, they're all being talked about in the same breath. It's not, can this guy be good? Can this guy be a professional? Can this guy get to the UFC? It's, can this guy be the next Conor McGregor and things like uh, that? So it's a very different scene. We've gone from a scene where nobody knows anything about it. Even people like me who'd been covering the sport for maybe three years in the country didn't know the fighters in the country covering MMA. I remember my friend um, actually who got me into MMA, he told me about his friend who who used to play uh, GA with him hurling and things. And he said he's gone to SPG and he's gone fighting. And his name is Brian Moore. He fights in Bellator at the moment. He fought mm-hmm. AJ McKee a while back. And I was like, he was like the first fighter I knew when he maybe had only like one fight or a couple of amateur fights or something like that. So it was very rare, even for me, someone who was interested in MMA to know anything about it. And now, like my father knows about it. The person down the road, everyone knows <laughs> about MMA because of obviously the explosion of Conor McGregor. You got to pay attention too, right? You got to like, it's easy to, I saw Khabib's first fight in the UFC Mm. and it was, I didn't really know that I did until later. (laughs) Was his debut in Nashville? Yeah. Oh, really? I think you told me that before. That's really crazy. Who did he fight? Do you remember? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) But No, but I do love what you're saying about like how in Ireland it, it, it from zero to 60, right? Like it went from just absolute isolated little sort of world there and, and mm-hmm. not really knowing who's coming up to now it's like the comparison level is meteoric now on totally unrealistic like whoever's coming up how do they compare to conor mcgregor or do they have this factor it factor or whatever so you went from oh we're just happy to have like fighters in representation yeah. or whatever and it went mm-hmm. <laughs> it went straight to we need a, we where's the next we need the next Mm-hmm. It's true. Kamal Shalarus as well was was uh, Khabib's uh, debut. But yeah, like, ah, all right. Do you remember that? If you look it up, <laughs> I looked it up. That's oh, the okay. problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem as well. Like, I know, I'm sure James Gallagher fighting in. That's the issue with him. Like, I, even me, like watching James Gallagher coming through and stuff. I, I've been at events where he's fought. He's a, like a really good fighter, brilliant on the ground, brilliant jiu-jitsu right. But 
he has the tattoo like McGregor and he's for an Irish person he doesn't speak that much like McGregor but I can understand how people outside of the country think yeah. he might speak and he does a bit like that but he's moved to where McGregor is from and he's his accent is similar and he James Gallagher came on the scene for maybe people across the pond and, and other places maybe when he was 19 20 mm -hmm. like he's an impressionable young guy with the most successful fighter in the history of the sport in the same gym alongside him how is he not going to pick that up but like the criticism that he has had you can criticize his fight and talk whatever you want but his criticism about him personally that wouldn't have existed if conor mcgregor wasn't there so there's a yeah. very very big difference and just on him as well you go cover cards and you go interview people and stuff and you like them maybe behind the scenes a little bit he's one of those guys where he's the most standout person i've ever seen he's one of the nicest guys behind the scene you could meet his family is always around him his mother and father are always there just a, like a really good kind of guy behind the scenes and takes care of his family and his people and always says him you see him after the fights and he might sit down and might have a drink or two like his mother and father and go away he's not going away with all his friends and messing and stuff he he's one of those guys where you're up close to him and you see him and it's different and i suppose you know he, he has brought some of that on himself and i'm sure he wants it because it like makes him more famous and it makes him more out there yeah but that's it can and like if you see the two points of that it can be a benefit or it can be terrible for those fighters and i think that's another big thing with, with maybe the mcgregor thing that's changing a little bit that's not as applicable in other places okay some guys are you some gyms and you have even daniel carmier and before them josh koscheck and john fitch and kane velasquez and all mm -hmm. and they come up as a family like that but it's very different in ireland where everyone is just below McGregor and compared to him and, you know, right. viewed in that guy. So it's uh, it's an odd situation we find ourselves in here in Ireland. Yeah. I really like James. I really, you know, that I, I understand that he has a lot of haters and a lot of people just didn't like him early on because of the fact that he was adopting so much of the Connor energy. Mm -hmm. And I totally got that. And it was annoying as hell. And he's like you say, he's a very young guy. It like in a, a kid, in, a kid, in a globally televised combat yeah. sport. And it's and since that time, he's had losses. Things have gone down. He's shown himself to have resilience and and the possibility to grow grow and learn and he's shown himself to be a much more mature young man and i still get excited when i know i'm going to get to see a james gallagher fight so i really have enjoyed his journey the whole way through mm -hmm. yeah it's it's definitely an interesting one yeah see to see how it'll uh benefit him like uh, he, after his first loss to ricky Vadeas, he went on I think it was the MMA or at the time with Ariel and he spoke really well and some people after a loss and I hate to criticize people after a loss but I'm not really criticizing but I, I would rather give compliments to someone like James Gallagher or even you know McGregor has been similar thing or Dominic Cruz when they lost the fight and they came out and they spoke after it that takes like <laughs> fortitude that mortals like us really can't even comprehend yeah, get, yeah. like embarrassed in front of the world and then the next day I come out and go look you swim with the sharks you're going to get bitten and that's yeah you know, that's what happened to all these people and that's another thing that i think a lot of people had respect for him and maybe gained some respect for him after that as well so it's uh it'll be interesting to see how he gets on over the next while now yeah it's a cruel twist that you have to make yourself believe something and you have to fully have total confidence that you're gonna you're gonna win a fight and mm -hmm. then build yourself up to that then have the the adrenaline of all that moment and all and, and then the outcome is not what you wanted or desired and to immediately be able to pivot to this point of just wisdom or <laughs> objectivity yeah. on some level to have perspective on it in any way i find it very interesting that the fighter mind has to ingratiate itself to something mythical until it's true and then if it's not true then there's ways to look at it where it's it's all right. It's a very interesting uh, dichotomy. There's not many other lives I think that have to work 
that mm-hmm. way. That's a very, maybe in our, in, in some of the artists and creatives that we talk to, granted the consequences are different for your creative work. Oh, nobody liked my painting. Oh no. <laughs> I come out and talk after my gallery exhibition and say, it's really my responsibility. Yeah. I take full responsibility for the loss. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a great bit though, to have you, Sean, to have a, I don't know if you, you probably haven't taken an art class or something, but I remember taking like a painting class. Maybe you did take an art class. I don't know. Have you ever done no, I, I, I didn't. My niece is a really good artist, but oh, very me. cool. So like, I just remember being in in like a painting college class or whatever, and I don't paint. I just took it because it seemed like something to do, but, but they had these uh, critiques where you, everybody works on a project and then uh, you all put your paintings up on one sort of common wall or area. And then everybody sits back and then offers this sort of critique of everything. And, And it's just, it's brutal because it's a lot of times the work is not even fully finished or whatever the, I would love to see your impressions of judgment as it comes to to art or what's the rubric right for what's good joe do we even like when you're scoring a painting joe what how do you call it i trust the criteria you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and judging is a verb so i, I actively i actively compare it to the criteria now obviously you have to have criteria of, of some kind but yeah it's different it's different when you're looking at art i think and i think but i do think the judging is a verb part definitely applies because you have, I was thinking about this the other day, just cause I was reading something that I, I didn't care for the way I didn't care for the way it was written, frankly. And it was one of these situations where you obviously have a, a, a critic talking about work with an agenda that they've brought to the table, not just a point of view they've brought to the mm-hmm. table, but like an agenda that they're going to talk about. And you almost get the sense that you could put any other show in front of them and they would still find a way to talk about this other baggage they're bringing to their review of the show. And some people enjoy that kind of writing and some people like to write that way. And you could argue that it's valid on some level. To me, the opposite of that is the one where you have somebody who just basically copies the press release from the gallery, gets a quote from the curator, and summarizes the art statement and then calls that like a, mm. a review. Okay. That's you're completely passive. And the other one, you're weirdly passive in a way too, because you're not really engaging with the thing in front of your eyes. So I think mm-hmm. that's the key real thing is to actually just engage with the thing itself, like the work itself, regardless mm-hmm. of what the artist thinks it's about or says, regardless of what the gallery or the record label told you or the movie studio tweeted this morning. And and then we bring your thing to it. You know what I mean? Whatever that is, your perspective. Hopefully you have mm-hmm. a point of view if you're wasting my time uh, expecting me to read this. <laughs> you know? so, so, so there you go. And then there's different points of view. And I think like when it comes to movie critics and stuff, we all find those voices that generally this person writes about the things that I think are important and they like the same things I like. So that I read this critic or I, you know, listen to this podcast or whatever. Right. Or the, I just like watching this guy tear everything to shreds. Cause he's always got an opinion. Like there's always that yeah, person that's or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, Sean's just judging It's a real, yeah. <laughs> well, so I know it's getting uh, pretty late at night there over there for you, but I have just one more. What quick time is it over there in Ireland right now? 10 to 12, but I'm grand. I'm, I'm on Eastern time, to be honest. Uh, specific no, okay. time, specific time, even. I think I'm so bad at this stage. So I'm grand. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm here as long as you want me to be here. I'm fine. Okay. The last inquiry I have, and then Joe, you can 
grill, we can grill Sean for another hour if you want, but uh, no, but, uh, but my last thought was just uh, with your experience and knowledge of all these things and your endless curiosity about it and respect for facts and logic. What's this question going to be? <laughs> yeah, right. No, do you ever find yourself, I really struck me earlier when you said that Daniel Cormier doesn't know, like nobody knows the rules. And so when you think about people that are that accomplished, that don't really play that closely to or pay attention that much to the rules or the judging criteria or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I guess my question is, do you find yourself having an insight or an opinion about fighters in terms of like, you've got fighters that play to the judges point fighting approach. And then you have people that are wildly the opposite and don't care at all. And then you probably have a lot of people in the middle, but do you ever find yourself thinking uh, with the knowledge that you have, because you're one of the few people that actually has read everything. Do you feel like if you were fighting or when you watch another fighter, do you think, man, like they're, they're making bad strategic decisions because of the way that the fight has played out and because of the balance of the scoring at this point. And I, I'm not, and why we haven't opened up open scoring and I know that's like a whole other like hour long mm -hmm. thing, but I just wonder about, do you find yourself with your knowledge of it at odds with what's going on? Because if the fighter just knew that this, this was leaning this way, or this is a more intelligent way to go about a better result sometimes, mm -hmm. would that make, does that make sense? A hundred percent. Like there's loads of examples, but the one example is probably like the worst example I could make because it's John Jones. You uh. know, we, we argue that he's the, the greatest fighter in the history of the sport. And you, you get that. It's a hundred percent Demetrius Johnson. Everyone who says it's John Jones is wrong. But anyway, we'll say yeah. it's John Jones. for yeah. John Jones is the way he fights over the last three or four or five years since the criteria has changed has actually become less effective in scoring rounds than it has before. Ah. And look what has happened to John Jones in the last few fights. They've all been really close on the judges' scorecards. People think, think he's lost them. And that's because of the criteria changing, I think. And it's, it's not just because of the criteria changing, but it's also because, I, I mentioned him earlier on. You know, sorry, my hair is just all over the place here. We're still yeah. Go for it, Jones, you talk about point fighting to, to win fights. Point fighting is actually, in, with the written criteria we have at the moment, the worst thing you could do. Because if you point fight someone for four minutes and 55 seconds, and then they knock one strike, the other person's going to win the round. So that's why, what John Jones is. I'm not saying he's completely a point fighter, because he can land big shots and do things as well. And what he's very good is being, he's very good at being defensive. He's a very good defensive fighter. So if he doesn't get hit, then his point fighting uh, way of fighting is going to win him fights, or his. I think point fighting is a bad example, bad yeah, yeah, yeah. Using. But so that as well is changing an awful lot. Like Habib has, he started off his career, he was fighting guys like Kamal Shamarous and, and other guys, and he <laughs> was uh, very, very offensive because he was so dominant. Now, in his last few fights, he has been uh, as well, but. If you fight someone like the first round of the Conor McGregor fight, he took McGregor down and he laid on him for a long time in that fight and he barely landed anything. Like, imagine if McGregor had landed like one shot before Habib did that and Habib laid on him for four and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. Under the criteria, Conor McGregor wins that round. Mm. Now, that's the issue with fighters like that who are going to have to change their game. Now, all it might have taken for Habib... To, to win the round was to throw some shots or land a few elbows or maybe move and try to choke McGregor or go for an armbar or something like that. And I think that's what fighters, I, I've talked to judges and I've talked to, to fighters as well. And I actually know one of one judge who like spoke to a fighter because the fighter came up or the, his trainer, I think, or his coach came up afterwards and asked him like, not in a bad way, in a very respectful way. I was like, what do we need to do in the next fight to win this fight? And I watched that fighter in his next fight and he did exactly what the judge told him. And it's not that the judge has given him an insight into the ranting. 
open that screen what's there the criteria all you used to do is read it and see what's there and in, okay there's an interpretation of it obviously as well it takes more than just reading it but i think if people read the criteria if fighters read the criteria if coaches read the criteria more it would change the sport and you know what mm. it do it make the sport a lot more exciting and a lot more offensive so for the ufc and, and this is like maybe a broader point but for the ufc to shy away from that and have their commentary team now john anik understands it john gooden better than anyone on any commentary maybe apart from john mccarthy he's the, he may be the, the one except that <laughs> if they were to put out the criteria and tell us about it as the fights were going on and change the way we look at fights and the way people fight we'd have a way better sport because mm-hmm. this they're written to be more more offensive and to be to make it a better sport so that's the one thing like i look at fighters sometimes and i see like i was watching i did a rewatch there for osp and uh, if you watch osp fight uh, it's i don't know if this is the most pc thing in the world to say but i'm gonna say it anyway he's the most one-handed fighter in mma apart from nick newell he only throws <laughs> his left hand he he cannot throw his right hand so if he fights in the orthodox position he jabs because it's his left hand if he fights in the southpaw position mm-hmm. he throws his left hand but osp is is won loads of fights he went five rounds with john jones you know yeah. and how does he do he's that based here in tennessee yeah he's a very effective fighter for the way he fights and if you land a big knockdown against osp you could get jabbed up for the whole fight and it doesn't matter because he knocks you down and he hurts you and he's going to win that round so there's different ways of fighting sometimes the more darce joke is what he's indeed do. He's <laughs> yeah or the the uh the, the van pru joke oh, yeah, van so, um, that's it that's it yeah, yeah. So like it's it's it, that's a great thing about MMA. There's so many different ways of fighting and so many great ways of fighting. But yeah. the way the best way to fight in 2020 is offensively, and that's, that's a good thing I said for I think for the sport itself. But I, I like I did I I don't like watching fighters go. Oh, this is the way you should do it because I sound like an absolute dickhead. But just one <laughs> last point on that. You spoke there about when you're you're talking about art and you're talking about like the process and the point of view you look from, right? When yeah. we're talking about fights and who should win the fight, we look at it from who's fighting. Conor McGregor's fighting Dustin Poirier coming up here. Oh, we look who landed the bigger shots, who landed the better shots and stuff like that. And we're looking at it from Poirier's point of view, McGregor's point of view. We need to be looking at it from outside the cage. We need to look, be looking at it from the judge's point of view. And the process about talking about judging as well, and in a broader point again, it can't be on McGregor versus Poirier. It can't be on Habib versus... Gaethje. It can't be on Jones versus Reyes. It has to be on every fight. It has to be on all the fights that happen all through the year. We can't blow up on one fight and say judging is rubbish or judging is good based on one fight. It has to be done over a long time. That process of looking at judging. You're not looking at the judging of one fight. I think you have to look at the process of overall judging, how things are judged, how judging has changed and how specific judges judge fights and how good they are over a long time. So that's it. Yeah. Well, you may have seen this, like this, just just to, to stick with this harangue on judging. Your friend Sean Denny wants to know when you will actually be a judge. I think you may have already answered this, but but do you have an? Do you want to be? Do you want another thankless job to add to your resume? <laughs> I'd have to delete my Twitter if I wanted to be a judge. But I I almost judged the fight last year. I was I was at Cage Wires in Cork, and uh-huh. there was only three judges booked for that card and one of them i think he got a flat tire on the way and ben cartilage who was in the chat earlier on was judging and he was like we're in trouble here we've only two judges he was, can you sit in and can you judge this fight if he doesn't show up wow and I, I genuinely thought he was joking at the time <laughs> in the, 
didn't the guy his name is Barry Oglesby he's a good coach around here as well and a good judge he turned up and he was like literally as the fighter was walking out he got into the arena so I would have been judging but I've spoken to I've spoken to Ben about it before I'd, I'd love to judge maybe an amateur fighter too I wouldn't judge like professional fights and things like that I, th- I just think I couldn't I've given my opinion on every fighter in Ireland and the UK and America and so so yeah. it'd be very unfair for me I, and I feel like my opinion is always fair and based on facts and stuff like that, but I'm sh- sometimes it isn't. I'm sure I get carried away sometimes, but uh, I couldn't do it other than that. But do maybe amateur fighters or something like that to sit in the seat to to see what it's like? Uh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to try it out, and I'd, I'd, uh, I think it might be give me that extra perspective as well, like talking to Ben. If anyone actually wants to listen, I did two podcasts with Ben Cartledge. And they're up on, uh, I, I did oh, three, but two of them are up on, on severe MS. So we very rarely hear from judges. And I think that's another issue as well. And actually the, the guy from Kansas I spoke to yesterday is doing like a symposium on judging and it's going to be put up on YouTube and everyone's going to be able to watch it. I think that's fantastic. And my conversations with Ben as well have, I think for me are more important even than the, the watching the criteria because you see it like you see, you hear his voice and you can you can see the human there and the work he has put into it and how seriously he takes it. And I think that's that's another part of judging that we, we need to think about as well. These are actually people who and I talked about earlier on about the effort they put in and the love for it they have. They absolutely do. They wouldn't be doing it if they didn't have that love and want to do it. That's that's uh, that's one thing I think people should keep in mind as well. Obviously, uh, you love what you do as well. And w- I love what uh, Severe MMA has done. I love the, how you set up your Patreon. I think it's really smart and makes a lot of sense. I don't I'm not I'm not a supporter right now, but I think that I'm I think that I'm in. I just wanted to, just, yes. I wanted to talk about it in person and say, no, but, but, but so maybe we can turn the corner, wrap this up. So you're not staying up all night and, but, but maybe you can let people know anything, anything you're doing that you're excited about that's coming up or at the very least where they can find you and, 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 and subscribe and support you. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, Sean Sheehan BA, Severe May Pod on Twitter as well, and Severe May. So the podcast comes out every Sunday and it's free on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all that, just Severe May Podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we have a Patreon. You can sign up. We, we say it costs the price of a pint a month. So it's $5, <laughs> or if you're over here, five euro. And uh, every Tuesday, I have a podcast, the Q&A. So you send in a question, I'll answer it. It's usually around 30 to 45 minutes. I have the rewatch. I go back and watch an old fight every Thursday. So you have at least those two. I interview all the up-and-coming fighters in Ireland. I usually have a podcast every Wednesday as well on some certain amount of topics. Or obviously, I have interviews with the likes of Ben Cartledge. And I interviewed Conor McGregor last year before he's, or this year even. It's field five years ago, before his uh, Donald Cerrone mm-hmm. fight. And all the up-and-comers out. Cage Wires have three cards coming up here in... Jesus, it's what eight days time. Oh my god, I better start interviewing people. Ah. They're, they're coming up soon, so we'll have lots of stuff for that. But it's the European scene has been torn apart a little bit over the last while, and mm. a lot there aren't that many people covering it as maybe seriously as they once were. But we're still hanging in, and we have we have guys over in the UK as well covering it and and things like that. Harry Williams is a great guy. He's in uh, he's in Manchester doing it. Jake Smith is in Newcastle doing it. If I'm sure Aaron Chalmers and all those guys coming through, mm. and we have. Steve and Sean as well over in the UK. So myself and Andy Stevenson and Graham and Ian O'Neill actually over in Canada as well doing it. So And my guy Podrick as well does uh, videos and stuff for us. So we have a small but like uh, vibrant crew there and severemed.com, I suppose, is, mm-hmm. is the main place to go and you'll find everything there. Yeah, Fantastic. right on, man. I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate you being on so quick. Like I said, this was just a few weeks ago that I, I discovered your video uh, right in the middle of a fight night. And and I think before the card was over, I was already in touch with you and we were agreeing to do a podcast together. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to get you on so fast. That Poirier-Connor fight is coming up. When That's at the end of January. Am I right about that? The third, I think, yeah. The third of January? 
23rd. Oh, 23rd. Yeah. Maybe just let's put a pin in that and maybe we can get you back. I mean, if you would have time, because I know you'll be really busy with covering stuff in Ireland, but if, but maybe we can get you back on then and we could preview the fight together and uh, get your perspective about that one. Because that's going to be, I, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting fight. It's weird how the journey from the first fight till now, it's two different fighters. Yeah. It's also who's going to win, right? Because you have Poirier, yeah. you have McGregor, and you have COVID. Yeah, <laughs> that's true too. I mean, yeah, I'm in Ireland. It's not we don't. It's not so bad here. Only I think that's it was good. only 183 people tested positive this uh, today. So oh. I, 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 in, in, in America, we're in America, we're just piping it into people's houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're just, I yeah. see that. I know we'll be in touch, Sean, so we'll keep in yeah. touch with you about that. And uh, I really good. appreciate you coming on and talking about all this stuff with us. And I'm just really glad to add you to our group of MMA media friends that we've shared these podcasts with. And we're, we're really glad to have you on. Yeah. And I think you're also a great guest for our friends who don't know that much about the sport. I think you, this really gives them a lot of insight into how it actually works. And it's not just a human cockfighting match. <laughs> Well, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. well, and it's also something that you can be nerded out into the depths of rule sets and regulatory matters and all that. And honestly, it's all very interesting, even if you're not even really into the sport itself, just to see culturally what's happening and uh-huh. and globally what's happening. It's just a, it's a very interesting sort of microcosm to tune into and mm-hmm. see, because generally we find that everything that's going on in the MMA surround is essentially replicated in the broader culture or consciousness somewhere so it's nice sometimes it's terrible like when you're talking about like tito or things like that i'm just Mm -hmm. like oh goodness but uh, but generally it's a very cool thing to witness so anyway we really appreciate definitely you you taking the time and staying up late even though you say it's not late and we'll see you on the other side of this we're going to run our little video to get out of here thanks everybody make sure you do all the subscribing and the sharing and all the things and and we're always glad to be able to, to hang out with everybody until next time take it easy thanks everybody bye Thanks for the questions.